So welcome back to church um, for our guests that are here. This is a national thing that's going on in the nation and actually around the world. There's about 28,000 churches that are taking part in this um, inviting guests to church. So if you're a guest here, uh, welcome. Uh, we hope not to weird you out too much and that you might meet that mystery dish. Uh, we invite you to have some food afterward. So kind of stay and hang out and get to know people. Uh, this morning, I am going to chat with our guests. Uh, I have prepared to speak, and that's kind of what we do in church. I get to talk, and you all, well, you have to listen. And um, everybody stays seated. And so if you get up to leave early, I'll know who you are, and we'll send people out to chase you and bring you back. Um, I'm only kidding. We won't bring you back. Uh, but... <laughs> um, but I want to speak to our guests because maybe you, you've never gone to church. Maybe you went once in a while or maybe, you know, you went a long time ago. You went as a kid or whatever it is. I want, to, I want to speak to you this morning. I want to share with you a little bit about church, about Jesus, about faith, about Christians. And I want to kind of, um, well, I want to come clean before our guest this morning as the church, as a pastor of the church. But before we do that, I, I want us to take a look at a few pictures. These pictures have to do with advertising. Now, let, let me get to the first one here. And it's actually kind of false advertising. Because this one says, butter, good and good for you. And now the nutritional tip on this advertisement, it says this if you can't read it. Butter is slippery. That's why we eat as much as possible to lubricate our arteries and veins. Now, this was a real ad in a real magazine. And obviously, you know, seeing that boy, it was probably a long time ago before butter got a bad rap. All right, the next one. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Um... Yeah, not so much today, but, it, but according to repeated nationwide surveys, I mean, they've done their research, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Natural Cheetos. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever eaten a Cheeto, but there's probably nothing at all natural about it. If this isn't, I mean, I can understand bad advertising, but this has just got to be a straight up lie. No natural flavors, Really? Orange is not a flavor, not, I mean, at least not in the Cheeto realm. Less wrinkles in only minutes. Now, at the bottom, it says simulated imagery. So I'm not quite sure what they're trying to, to do here. But I'm thinking if you look like the woman on this side, you're never going to get back to the one on the other side. I, I just, and, and, and definitely not in minutes. I think this is my favorite coming up. Oh, it is. Okay. Animal control. Removal of nuisance, wild animals, chimney cap. But they have a baby up in the corner. Now, we don't think babies are a nuisance here. I, I, don't, I don't know what this person was thinking. I, I really don't. But this is a modern phone number. We don't think babies are nuisances, so you can keep yours. All right, here's what, cheat death, the antioxidant power of pomegranate juice. Just so you know, I'm just throwing it out there, no one cheats death. You might die healthier than someone, but you're, you're, in the end, it's, it's, it, it comes to an end. 
and I think that we all at one time, we have been exposed to false advertising, bad advertising, uh, outright lies sometimes. I, I love to eat in like the greasy spoon restaurants, like the little diners and things like that. And every once in a while, I'll come across one that says, world's best cup of coffee. And you, you cruise on in and, you know, you want your three eggs over easy with your hash browns, a little on the well-done side, your wheat toast and your bacon, and you want that world's best cup of coffee. But, you know, you take a sip off that, that first sip and you know something quite isn't right. The chemistry has gone askew somehow. And by the time you finish the world's best cup of coffee, you ever get that coffee gurgle? Like, you know, and you just like, something is not right. And this may not have been what the advertisement has cracked it up to be, the world's best cup of coffee. Because now you have, well, you have a bellyache. Or do you ever, do you ever go on a trip? And you've been down the road for a while, and you know, you got to make a pit stop. you got to put gas in the car, and you have to take care of some personal business, you know. And you're looking for a bathroom, and, and you, go to the, you go to the garage or the gas station that, that has the sign, Clean Bathrooms. Yes! And you know they're clean because they're locked and you have to go in to get the key. And then the guy gives you the key that has the the brick on it. And you walk out and you open the door. And the first thing that you're hit with is the aroma. And it doesn't really lend itself to clean. And you walk in and you look around and you think to yourself, (laughs) the guy that just drank the best world's best cup of coffee might have just left this place. We've all been kind of sucked into this idea of, of advertising. And we see it. We, we are inundated with advertisements over and over and over again. And if it's bad advertising, if it's false advertising, if it's just kind of weird, it kind of turns us off to the product at hand. It kind of, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, no, never mind. Skechers, you know, the, the shoe brand, they got sued for $45 million because they had these special shoes that were supposed to tone up your Derriere, and, and, and guess what? It didn't. And they were sued for $45 million. And you can go and you can investigate companies that have just outright lied. Well, now, now here's the thing. The church, and just in case you're a guest here, and just in case you get bamboozled into thinking you were just coming for free food, yeah, you're in church, and so you might as well just accept that fact. The church is a, a place where people gather together, who follow Jesus. That's, that's, that's the church. It's not a building. It's, it's not anything but the people who, who gather. And people are gathering all over the world on this day, sometimes Saturday night, Sunday, in the name of Jesus, because we follow Jesus. And that's, that's what the church is. And as Jesus followers, we, the church, church people, Christians, we're called to represent him on this earth. We're called to kind of live into his rhythm, kind of reflect who he is or who he was in, in the world, kind of live into the way he lived. In fact, the Bible tells us that part of this journey of faith that we're on is about becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's a slow process, believe me, but we, we're called to, as we kind of follow him, to be more and more like him. Now, I will admit that sometimes the church doesn't do a very good job at reflecting Jesus back into the world. Sometimes we have failed. Sometimes we're just kind of, we're, we're bad advertising, misleading. There's a great book, it's called Unchristian. 
And it's written by Christian authors, but these Christian authors, they, they went out and they surveyed thousands of young adults, people in their you know, mid-20s, even early 30s, and they asked them questions about faith and about Jesus and about church, about Christians and about Christianity. And, and the results of this survey, they are not flattering for us, people that, we, that, uh, that follow Jesus, for the church. And two main threads or two main words that had come out in that survey were that Christians and the church are hypocritical, we're, we're hypocrites, and we're judgmental. Now, as a pastor, those two words kind of, they're, they're kind of painful to hear. Now, now, I will say sometimes people don't have a correct understanding of, of church or about church or about what the Bible teaches. But it's still, it's still troubling to me that there are people who are turned off to Jesus by the very people who are supposed to represent Jesus on earth. And that's, that's the church. Frederick Nietzsche, a famous atheist, he, he was once asked a question. He's like, why, why are you so hard on Christians? And his answer, his answer was this. I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who had been saved. I think, huh. And then that famous quote from Gandhi. He said, you know, I, I like your Christ. I don't like your, your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And, and, and I think about that, and I just like, wow. And, and, and again, th- these, are, these are just two men, and these are just their opinions, and they're looking through a certain lens and certain experiences. Um, and not all Christian people are the exact opposite of Jesus, believe me. But nobody can live into that perfection anyway, but there were not exact opposites. But what I can say and what I've seen in our society and in our culture, that there's definitely a disconnect between the church, people who go to church, and people who don't go to church. Many times you hear this, this phrase, well, I, 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 don't, I don't like or do organized religion. I don't blame you. Within the church, there's sometimes people who, well, they say one thing, but then they live into something very different. And as people from the outside, people that don't go to church, people who want nothing to do with religion or Christians, that creates a tension. And within that tension, people have left the church. And within that tension, people don't want to go. Like, man, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. They've seen the stories, they've seen the news, you know, and, and you know, all of the kind of weenie Christian people seem to make the news and, and none of the just normal folk. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look into the Bible and we're going to look at a story. We're actually going to look at what Jesus has said about church and about faith and about Christian people. And we're going to look in the Gospel of Matthew, which is in the New Testament. And, you know, there's so many different translations that we can use. And, and today I'm, I'm going to actually use something called a paraphrase. And it's, it's the message version of, of the Bible. And we're going to put it up here so you don't need, a, uh, need to read anything but except up here and I will read it for you. But the first verse I want to look at is out of Matthew and it's out of chapter 5. And this is what Jesus says about Christians or about the church. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? 
You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, do you think I'm going to hide you under a bucket? Do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, the generous Father in heaven. This is what Jesus, this is the calling that Jesus puts on his followers. And what he's telling them here is that the church should be this reflection of who God is in the world. The church should be an advertisement for Jesus. Salt and light. Salt, it, it makes things taste better. Salt even makes you thirsty if you, if you eat too much of it. And if I can kind of press into the idea a little bit, the church is a place, or a church, we, the church, should be making people thirsty for Jesus, to know him, to know who he is. Not by just our words, but by the way we live our lives, to be encouragers of people, to look or at least kick the tires on this thing, on this person called Christ. And then it says that we're, we're, we're light. We're to shine. You know, even the littlest bit of light disrupts the darkest of darknesses. In the, in the Bible, the, the, the idea of light has to do with, with hope and joy. It, it really has to do with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world's. And so the church is called to be light, to reflect the Jesus light back into the world, that, that we would point people to the hope. We would point people to the love of Christ. That's, that's who we are called to be as the church. In fact, listen to the invitation that Jesus gives to, to everyone. These are the words of Jesus. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the invitation of Jesus to all people. This is the church this is what the church is supposed to do, to point people to this invitation, to point people to Jesus, man. And, and I got to think, and, and millions and millions and millions of Christians across the world, we, we, we consider it an honor that we get to do that, that we get to point people and say, man, are you burned out? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you sickened? I mean, religion is just frustrating you. Look to Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and, and all those cool books, he, he said that it seems that God doesn't do anything himself that he can possibly delegate to the church, to people. Then he continues to say that um, he commands us to slowly and blunderingly, I love that word, he commands us to slowly and blunderingly do what he can do perfectly in just the twinkle of an eye. Isn't it cool that God calls us to work with him, to work beside him. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us, but he desires us. He, he empowers us and he invites us. He tells 
church. He tells the Christian, hey, go and share this story of Jesus. Go and share this story of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. This is what I want you to do. Go, go and do it. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're, you're here going, yeah, I remember that. And I just, for whatever reason, life got hectic and you decided, you know, it just didn't fit into your schedule. But maybe, you know, maybe you've, you've had a different experience with church. Maybe, maybe it wasn't an experience of hope and, and love and grace. Maybe you've heard of a church or you went to a church and, and the leaders there, they, just, they were just kind of frumpy and grumpy and they just abused their power. Their, their leadership, or, or maybe, maybe you went to church because, man, you were hurting and, and life, was, life was beating you down and you just needed a little help. You needed some hope. You were, you, needed, you were just struggling and you wanted a place to just kind of land and rest. And, and all you were met with was, was judgmental stares and condescending attitudes, people pointing their finger at you. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe somebody invited you to church and said it was fun and it was exciting and, and, and you do really cool things and you got there and not so much and you were bored and, and, and you fell asleep and then they got mad at you because you fell asleep. We're not exciting, so don't even go there. Um, or maybe you've just heard these negative things and you're watching the news and, and you're seeing these people picket with signs that are just mean and, and, and terrible and they claim to be the church, or they claim to be Christian, and you're thinking, well, why would I want to be any part of that? You see, all those things kind of weave their way around to one, really, one real uh, focus, and that is hypocrisy. No one likes a hypocrite. No one likes a person who, or no one tolerates for very long a person who says one thing all the time and then lives completely opposite. And maybe that's been your experience. This church is supposed to be Jesus and, and, and love and, and welcoming. And, and I hear, hey, God loves you. Now clean your act up or you're going to hell. <laughs> Sign me up, right? I, I mean, well, if that's you and, and, and really you're just kind of turned off by, all, by what seems to be the hypocrisy of the church, well, you're in good company because Jesus himself was turned off by it. Jesus himself was just like, mm, no, no, no. Back in, back in his day, when Jesus lived and walked this earth, there were these religious leaders. They were Pharisees, and they were Sadducees, and they were the scribes, and they were, they were the bigwigs. They were the heavy hitters of the religion, of the, the religious days. And they kind of portrayed God as distant and harsh and just ready to stomp on you the moment you messed up. The moment you did something wrong, God was just ready with, with lightning bolts and fire and brimstone. And you know, I, I have the sense that today people have, maybe they have that impression of God. And maybe it's just easier just to ignore him or make something else up, kind of a God that fits it's more comfortable for you without really understanding or knowing who he really is. But see that harsh, distant, ready to thump you God is not Jesus. 
In fact, what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is God. And so if you want to know who God is, if you want to know his character, if you want to know his nature, then know Jesus because you will see who God is. And yes, he takes sin very seriously. In fact, he went to the cross and he died for sin. That's how serious he takes it. But he's a man of love and grace. Even if you've messed up big time, even if you've done horrible things that society thinks of uh, that are horrible. Jesus is a man of grace and love and compassion. He was patient with people. He was so patient with people that those religious leaders, they wanted to kill him. They accused, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you, you, you keep company with these kinds of people, these drunkards, these partiers, prostitutes, Jesus, how dare you do that? Religious people don't do that. Godly people don't do that. But Jesus said, oh, you don't know God if you think that. Jesus would say, those are my people. The only people that Jesus was really harsh with were those religious people because they were hypocrites. And they said one thing and they tried to get people to do things, but they lived their life very different from the things that they said. And at one point, he even goes off on him a bit, and, and it's, it's beautiful. I mean, if you want to. And this is Jesus talking to these religious people. You hopeless, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds. I think he said it that way too. Frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert. But once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves. Double damned. Didn't think we'd use that word in church, huh? You hopeless, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous accounts of books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. And what that line means is giving to the church. You're, you're keeping track of everything you're giving to the church. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds. Say it with me. Frauds. Right? You polish the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while inside are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisees. Scour the insides and then... The gleaming surfaces will mean something. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds. You're like manicured grave plots. Grass clipped and flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. See, there are zombies, I'm telling you. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you are total frauds. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders of his day. Calling them out, saying, man, you're, you're living this life and you're making people try to live this life, but you're doing nothing to help them. In fact, you're living the exact opposite of how you want them to live. Jesus didn't like hypocrites either. They, they, they're probably the one thing that really rubbed him wrong because they were, they were bad advertising for who God really is. And when the church comes up short in living into that truth, of who God is through Jesus. Well, people leave. People confuse church with God and, and they kind of give up on both. And, and, and I get it and I understand. You know, I believe that one of the biggest 
places where the church has, has really stumbled and reflecting Jesus into the world is we make this following of Jesus and we make faith all about behaving correctly. And we, and we make it like you have, to, you, have to, you have to get it together. You have to do certain things. You have to do the Christian things. And then once you get the Christian things, once you get that going for yourself, well, then, then you know, you're okay. You're in. Now, don't get me wrong. The way we live our lives is important. The things that we do and the things that we say and how we treat people, it's, it's important. There is, a, there is a, a harmony that God invites us to to live with him. But you can't start there. We can't start with behavior. Jesus never started there. Jesus started, he always started with the person's heart. Jesus started with what was on the inside. That's what he cared about the most, a person's heart. The religious leaders of his day, they were all about the behavior. They were all about making sure everything looked nice on the outside, making sure they did all the right things and they dressed the right way and they, they kept all of their, they kept the letter of the law is what they would say. And so there was this law with 613 things they had to do and didn't have to do. And they made sure that they were going to do them all, all on the outside. They looked, they looked really good, but on the inside, there was something wrong. And see, Jesus wanted to go to the inside. Because he knows that if, if, if he gets a hold of this, then all of the other stuff just follows suit eventually. Jesus never started with behavior. He said, yeah, the, the, the law of God is important. But we have to understand the heart of why God has given us this law. Why? What, what, and, and when you go to the heart, it's, it's a very different place. It's a very different thing. Let me, let me show you what I mean. This is out of Matthew again, and these are the words of Jesus. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Whoa. Some of you murdered somebody on the way to church this morning, didn't you? (laughs) Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into courts. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. You know, what what he's basically saying is, so you you think that you're so special because you haven't killed someone today. Well, that's just dandy. You know what? I would say the majority of people in here haven't killed anyone today. And if you have, we do have officers here that will escort you out. The majority of society hasn't killed a lot of people. You think that's, really, you think that's what it's all about, just not murdering? See, that's, that's the letter of the law. Great, you haven't killed anybody, but Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. And what he says, you know, don't be mean to people. Don't call them names. Don't call them stupid. Don't call them idiots. See, those things come from the hearts. It's easy not to kill someone most days. But when you, when, when you, Jesus is speaking about our hearts. How many times have you called somebody stupid or an idiot and you never uttered a single word? Here's the next one. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. 
those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. See, this goes beyond behavior. This goes beyond just just what you're doing on the outside. This goes to the heart of the matter. When you're staring at that guy or that girl and, and and those thoughts and your imagination begins to take hold. See, that's where adultery begins. That's where promiscuity begins. It begins here and it begins in here. Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter because he knows if he can get a hold of the heart, then all the other things will follow suit. And so we just can't go right to behavior. Jesus goes right to the heart. And sometimes, and sometimes the church has made it about behaviors. Sometimes the church has said, you've got to get it together. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. And many don't do that. And that's great. But there's still darkness in each and every human heart alive today. Whether you go to church or whether you don't go to church. And there are times that people have walked in the church and felt judged. Oh, you, you, go to, you go to that bar place and you do shots and listen to that sin music? Really? That's not, Jesus doesn't like those places. Actually, Jesus was accused of being a drunk, so nana, nana, nana. <laughs> if you've ever experienced that attitude in a church, I want to apologize because that's not the heart of Jesus. You know, maybe you've heard that old saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That go, that's Old Testament stuff right there. But what we don't understand is that's, that's God going, knowing our human nature, knowing if somebody's going to poke me in the eye, I'm going for both. If somebody's going to knock my tooth out, I'm going to thump them in the jaw and probably separate it somewhere right around here. Because we always need to one up. Revenge is always about one-upping. And God was like, okay, I know your heart. Like, okay, so let's just try to contain this. If somebody pokes in the eye, you only get one eye to poke. And that's what that really is about. But then Jesus comes and he goes, okay. (laughs) See, I want to get to the heart of the matter here. I want to get to the heart of things. Stop trying to one-up somebody who hurts you. In fact, he tells this little, little story. He says, if somebody's going to sue you for your shirt, and back then that's a big deal because maybe you only had one shirt. I know today we just give them away. But, but back then it was pretty huge. Somebody would take you to court for your shirt. I know that you might want this shirt, but you can't have it. But anyway, uh, and so he said, if you sue, if you're being sued for your shirt, you know, take your coat, wrap it up for them. Nice. Put a bow on it and give it to them as a gift too. Stop trying to one-up people. And, and, and then, he, then he says this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Just so you know, enemies are people who don't like you. Okay? Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. (laughs) Not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. You see, Jesus is always going to the heart of the matter. Hey, Somebody's beating up on you. Somebody is, is angry with you. Somebody is harassing you. Love them. There's this verse in the, uh, 
in the Old Testament. And it's again, it says in this, this New Testament book called Romans, it says, if you do something nice for your enemy, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. So if you don't, I mean, that, that gives me a little bit more solace. Like I can heap burning coals on their head. But this is, this is what Jesus wants of the church. This is what Jesus wants of, of Jesus' followers. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. And he lets the behavior then take care of a heart that he has. You know, maybe you've you watched TV or you've seen it on the news. Or maybe you've even known a person, you know, that, that, that Christian guy that Christian woman, they go to church and all they really care about is being right. All they really care about is, is making sure that they are correct. You know, they are correct. And by doing that, they want to make sure, you know, that your viewpoint on everything is wrong. And they go to great lengths to try to prove that they are right. And you are wrong. And they, 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 they can quote the Bible, you know, chapter and verse. And, and they, and they, they, they call out sins and they use really big theological words for sin, like, like fornication, I don't even know what it means either, but as a pastor, I'm required to say it four times a year, and that's my third. But so, you know, and they're, and they're using these big words, and then they take all of their opinion and their Bible verses and their big sin words, and they wrap in their, their political ideology. Because you have to be a certain affiliate to a certain political party in order to be Christian, obviously. And you sit there and you think, my goodness. Why is it, why do these church folk, why is it always like us against them? Why do they always need to be right all the time? Why do they, why do they just kind of always just push against us? You know, if that's ever been your experience within the church or with Christians, I apologize. I'm sorry, because that's not the heart of Jesus. Now there is right and wrong. There are certain rhythms and harmonies that God calls us. He, he invites us to walk in with him. He tells us that there's, there's, a, there's a road to life that, that he invites us to travel. And you can find those rhythms and harmonies if you, if you read the Bible. But Jesus, he's more concerned about a person's heart than, than their behaviors. He was concerned about loving them into a relationship with his father. You know, Jesus was the only person in history and will be the only person in history that was 100% right and correct all of the time. And he never flaunted it. He never had to prove it to other people. His way was a way of invitation. His way was a way of saying, follow me. Learn these unforced rhythms of grace. I want to... To our guests this morning, I want to apologize if church or Christians or even me has ever made faith anything else but following, following Jesus. Sometimes what the church brings sometimes isn't so good. The gospel, God, our sins, paying everyone life. That's the message. That is the message that God has given the church to share with the world. We call it the gospel. It means good news. See, that's good news. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, that was a pretty good wind-up. Now the bald man's going to throw the pitch. 
he's going to tell us that this church is different. That we're not like those people, those hypocrite religious people. That this church has got it going on. I mean, the pastor wears flops. I mean, how can we not? Well, if that's what you were thinking, you're wrong. I'd be lying if I said that. See, wherever you find people gathered together, you're going to find brokenness. You're going to find selfishness. You're going to find pride. You're going to find judgmentalism. You're going to find hypocrisy. But you'll also find love and you'll find grace and you'll find friendship. you find family. But see, that's, that's just who we are, man. That's the brokenness that we are as human beings. So you will never find the perfect church filled with perfect people that have finally reached the point of perfection. And if you did, and please don't be offended, if you did, looking around, they probably wouldn't let any of you in anyway. So why church? Why bother coming? Well, there's this author, uh, Paul Townier. And he writes, he's written a, a few books, but he has this one line in one of his books. He said, there are two things in this life that we cannot do alone. The first thing is be married. And the second thing is be a follower of Jesus. Be a Christian. And to be honest, both of those things at times can get kind of messy. But here, us, Oasis... We're just kind of a, a ragtag group of Jesus followers trying to figure this thing out, this, this life and, and faith and how they, how they connect with each other and how they intersect. We don't have all the answers. We don't even have all the questions. We have our ups and we have our downs, but, but we press on knowing that, that when we fall, and we, and we will fail and we will fall and we will do stupid things, individually and as a community, we know that Jesus is our forgiveness. And we're learning, we're learning what it means to go to him to be forgiven. And we're learning what it means to forgive others. And we're learning what it means um, to live as forgiven people and to live trying to forgive other people. This is the journey that the church takes together. And this is the journey that I want to invite you all on if you're here as a guest. And I guess the people who attend here regularly, you can come too. I want to invite you to put your faith, all of it, in, in Jesus and him alone. He doesn't change. He doesn't let us down. He will never leave. Please don't confuse Christians and church with God and then walk away from both of them. The only perfection that we can count on is God himself and not people. And you know, if you, if you choose to journey with us, then things might seem a little weird at first because church is like, what's up with all the singing in the beginning? And, and why were people waving at the, at the band? And they don't wave back. That's just kind of rude, isn't it? But, but and, and, and you know, and, and I don't usually preach out of this version of the Bible. And so, so that might, you know, things might be a little strange, but given a chance, we will come alongside you and help you in that journey because we're all in it together. And you know, if you choose the journey with us, there may come a time where somebody says something stupid to you and they judge you in a way or they, they just kind of, it was just kind of a careless statement. But given enough time, you'll probably do the same thing to somebody else. 
It's just our human nature. That's life. It's the beautiful mess that we all find ourselves in. See, the church is about learning to live and and figure out what's important and what's not. It's learning to, to learn what our own imperfections are and to accept others who are not perfect just like we are. We're trying to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to that. Invite you to come along. Um, If you are a guest here and you would like a Bible, there's Bibles on the back table. Help yourself. Take one, take four, take the stack if you're going to read them, if you want to pass them out. I want to thank you all for indulging me in my little spiel. I want to thank you all for for answering the invitation. I'm going to just kind of say a blessing and then from here, and then we're good to go. So why don't you join me as we pray. God, I want to thank you for church, the beautiful mess that we are. Thank you for Jesus and the, the beautiful reconciliation that he is. Thank you for the food that we're going to have and the friends that are here and the family and, and even the new friends that, that we will meet today. Thank you for grace and mercy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Peace out. We'll see you next week.